Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you again this Sunday morning. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently this morning. Instead of our usual talk, uh, we're going to be hearing some, from some friends in a moment. And so we just wanted to take a moment uh, right now to just speak into some of the current realities that we are experiencing. So, Tammy, why don't you start for us? Yeah. So, firstly... I want to say last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday uh, and it was a delight. As usual for Pentecost Sunday, we had pre-recorded all our service, but through that it meant there was no mention of the current news and, and the mention of the brutal murder of George Floyd that had taken place earlier that week in Minneapolis. And we tried, we thought through the week as we gave a voice to it on social media, um, that would show our hearts, but we, we really regretted that there wasn't a mention of that in our service. And we want to apologise for that because it, it was deeply felt. You may have seen the news coverage this week about the riots in the US, and there's been some peaceful demonstrations on the streets in the UK. But I imagine most of us are aware of exactly what happened. Many of us would have seen distressing footage in this, in this week of a white police officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck. As 16 times he gasped, I can't breathe. Each time that police officer ignored his pleas for help and eventually George died. And there isn't many of us I know um, that can understand what that moment must have felt like. Um, but we do know it's not a one-off situation. There have been numerous black lives taken, brutally killed by police officers. But on this occasion, it seems to have brought out the deep frustrations that have been held for years. There's a greater awareness right now of the evil reality that we are face, facing when it comes to racism in our culture across the world. Because some of us may think that this is a US problem. What does it have to do with us? But it's not a US problem, it's a human problem. It's something we all need to address and we need to pay attention to. You know, the, the New Testament describes the church as a body. And when one part of the body is hurting, uh, the rest of the body feels that pain. And today we grieve and lament with our black brothers and sisters. There will be many people in our communities, in our church family, who are hurting in this season. Those from Asian and other minority ethnic backgrounds who are ex who experience racism just as significantly. But today we're focusing particularly on our black brothers and sisters, as many of them are hurting at this time. The truth is, as a white middle-class church, and people, we have a lot to learn. Racism is never right, and it has no place in society or culture, and it should have no place in the church. 
Many of us from white backgrounds often fail to realize what we say and what we don't say might inadvertently wound and cause others pain. And so we want to grow in our understanding. We want to grow as pastors, as leaders of this faith community we call Central Vineyard and make steps to change, to, to make a difference. And so today we, we want to use the, the small platform that we've got um, to, to attempt to, to, to do that. And so um, instead of our usual talk, uh, we've invited some friends to come and, and be with us. So we've got Sharon and Nicholas and Addy and Nike and Ebby. And um, we just want to have a conversation this morning as a church family so that we can listen uh, and we can also learn. And so good morning, folks. Good morning. It's good great morning. to see you. Mm -hmm. um, many, uh, many people would have seen, your, seen you in our church family um, at different times. Many of you serve in different ways in the life of our church. Uh, but it'd be really wonderful just to hear a little bit of your stories um, and um, your background, where you grew up and, uh, and who you are. So why don't, why don't we start with um, Addy, Addy and Nike, why don't you kick us off? Um, my name is Addy. Um, I grew up in Nigeria. Um, that's um, my formative year up till maybe probably 30 years of age. So I came to England in 2003. Um, I think that, that's it really. So it's almost like uh, I could say I have the best of both worlds to understand what it feels to be an African and what it looks like learning. How does it feel to see the English people, the culture, and I mean, so, so it's it's a wonderful thing to actually. It's still a learning process, so to say. <laughs> in the middle. Hi, my name is Nike. Um, I was born here, raised a couple of years, went back to Nigeria because that's where my parents were originally from. Got married and came back. I noticed while I was in, while I'm here, people say, "Oh, the black girl." But when I'm in Nigeria, because of the way I spoke, they said, "Oh, the white girl." <laughs> So sometimes I didn't know who I was. I had to find who I was in respect to that. Wow. Mm, thank you. Thank you. How about Ellie? Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, gosh, it's like a half a house full of Nigerians. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um, was born in the UK um, and from the age of one to 10, I lived in Brussels. Um, I was born into a diplomat family, so my dad was an ambassador, um, and with him being a Nigerian ambassador, um, it meant that I was raised very aware of who I was as a Nigerian, um, but also obviously grew up in, in Brussels, which is very white, um, very European. Um, and um, yeah, so I lived in Brussels till I was 10, and then moved to the UK. Um, and then did the rest of, yeah, the rest of secondary school um, and university, um, worked a little bit, worked for church a little bit, and then um, moved to Nigeria um, for five years, um, then met Ike, um, and then moved to Ghana. So I had the pleasure of 
10 years um, away from Europe, away from the UK. Um, and that was really formative in figuring out who I was um, as, as a black woman, as a, a Nigerian, because prior to that, it was my parents' culture that I'd learned. And, um, and I just had a lot of white friends. So it was just really about finding my identity. Um, and then I came back to Northampton. So having done my formative years in London, really, and Brussels, um, boom into Middle England. Yeah. It's <laughs> 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 wonderful. And uh, Sharon and Nick, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves? I'm Sharon, Sharon Moses. Um, I was born in Highwicombe in Buckinghamshire. Uh, my parents came from the West Indies, a beautiful little island called St Vincent in the Caribbean. And they came over here probably at the very end of the Windrush um, time. And so we were uh, brought up as English, Black Caribbean in Highwicombe, which was, I would Say it has different cultures, it's a mix of cultures, but we were still in the minority. Um, brought up in a church that was white middle class, so I'm very used to the situation. Um, um, and where we lived, we were probably only two black families on our road, but on the road there was also Italians, Welsh, there was a little bit of a mix, but predominantly white. Caucasian. Um, schooling in England, um, again I was probably in the very minority, the only black girl, but there are a few other, other groups, small minority groups, but mainly, mainly English. So, and in our house, um, it was almost a point that my mother made that she didn't ever say that we were black. We hardly ever heard the word black. We were just part of our community. Mm -hmm. So a bit like Ebby, it took me a while to realize I was black and what blackness actually meant. Um, I think I probably realized that and was thrown into that as I joined a Pentecostal church in my late teens and met my husband, Billy. And that's where we stayed for quite a few years and we brought up our children. And that was a black Pentecostal church. I knew what it was to be black then. <laughs> but my formative years were very much white middle class church background um, and being in the minority in most of um, my areas. Um, yeah, I'm Nick and um, yeah, I've been here since I was born. So I've been around black people like all my life. But then obviously, like Mum said, the church we went to before was like it was it was all it was black. It was black black. And <laughs> it was it was kind of like I was going to church and I was seeing one side and like there were Africans, there were Caribbeans and you know saying and I loved it. And then I'd go to school and there were only four black kids in our year. Yeah. And then I was kind of confused and you know, but now I'm going out and I'm seeing all different more types of people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. So why don't um Sharon, why don't we come back to you? Why don't you tell us a little bit of your experience of being treated differently 
because of the color of your skin, either growing up or maybe even more recently, you know, in the work environment and things like that. Why don't you start us off with that conversation? Um, picking up from where I was saying before how, we, how I was brought up, really where we lived in High Wycombe, we were only 30 minutes away from London. And so what I have experienced is the closer you are to a main city, like London, Birmingham, Bristol, um, the more open-minded people are. So really, growing up, I can say I didn't experience any racism whatsoever. Mm. Uh, to tell you the truth, my first real experience with racism was when I came to Northampton. Wow. Um, within a couple of weeks of moving here, uh, we'd been here, how old are you, 17? We've been here 16 years, Nicholas was one. Um, so I went along to my local church with three small children and it did have the word Baptist in the title. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay, let's try this. Um, but as I walked through the door, I was greeted by a senior lady, very smiley and happy she was. And the first thing she said to me was, um, oh, hello, welcome, you must be new. And even her tone and the way she spoke to me, I'm thinking, why is she speaking to me like this? Uh, I've never experienced it really um, and I said yes I am new we've just moved into the area and we moved into a it was a village church um, and so then she said where are you from there <laughs> I said um where am I from I've just moved into the area because I really couldn't comprehend what she was saying to me I've never experienced it and she said it again you know where are you from there and I suddenly clicked what she was trying to say. And I said, oh, I'm from High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire, dear. And she said, no, where are you from, dear? I repeated, High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire. She said, no, where were you born, dear? I said, High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire. <laughs> <laughs> and then she looked at me very confused and she said, okay, dear. And then she, well, she proceeded to give me my little welcome pack and I sat down. Um, hence, we didn't stay very long in the service. As soon as I found an opportunity, I picked up the children and said we were going. They were a bit confused, but I was a bit shaken by the experience, really. And every, everybody that was around me was that they looked like her. And it was the first time I'd actually realised that I looked different. And... Mm. I was different and I mean I'm a woman in my 30s at this point and it was the first time I'd actually realized oh people see me that differently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was my very first experience um, and I've had a few other experiences in Northampton unfortunately <laughs> mm -hmm. um, even within the last few months um, at work a customer asked me again um, where I was from. I think she was trying to validate whether I could answer the question she was about to pose to me about what I was doing at work and something that she needed. And I think she was just trying to work out who I was. And so I don't think she meant anything by it, but my work colleague that was with me, she was really embarrassed. She had, she interjected and I just said, it's okay, because I'm quite used to it now. I said, it's all right, I shall tell her. But, you know. 
Mm. I said, I don't know why we're coming back and I'm sure and I had to go through the scenario again <laughs> to validate myself. Mm. But I have, I have found that it doesn't take um, a lot um, to change people's opinions. I think that if we live in a city and we're surrounded by lots of different in, in, and interact with lots of different types of people from different backgrounds, people tend to be more open-minded. You only have to go a few miles outside of a city and you come, do come against this sort of questioning. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, like growing up in Northampton, obviously you're just, you're not really taught that your culture is important. You know, you're taught like, not, not to hate yourself, but you're kind of taught like, you should be more like this way instead of this way. You shouldn't speak a certain way or you should look a certain way or you shouldn't listen to this type of music or I'm saying, or I get you should be more quiet quite a bit, quite a lot. But, <laughs> and, you know, and then, so that kind of confused me in primary school because I was thinking, you know, I'm trying to understand your culture and be like you, but I'm never going to be like you. Mm. So it's kind of like, either way, I was kind of lost. And then as I got to secondary school, it was like, then there was black people. I just saw black people everywhere. But then I was kind of thrust into, you should be proud of who you are. And then that kind of took me on the whole opposite direction. And then I must have been in like year nine when I told my mum, yeah, I want to get twists in my hair. And I, <laughs> I, want to, I want to wear my pants baggy and I want to wear these nice <laughs> shoes. I want, to be, I want to be like that. And then, so I was in school and someone must have said, you know, this other guy had said the N-word. And so I don't know if it's true or not, but obviously NSB is a kind of, there's a lot of posh people and middle-class people who look down on you. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt that from early on. So then I, I must have got into a fight with him. And after that, I thought, I need to find somewhere in the middle because I'm doing all of this for my culture and whatnot. But... I can't just disregard other sides of who I am. Yeah. So then, you know, that was that. But that, apart from that, I think because people have got to know me, I think I've changed their mind. Like maybe they're like, "Oh, he's black" or whatever. And, but if you just get to know someone, you know, your mind will be changed. You can't be racist when you have black friends or like real friends, though. Not like, "Oh yeah, he's my friend." Like, mm. so. Mm. Thanks, Nick. That's Thank great. You. Anyone else Thanks, got Nick. any comments on that? You know. Some of, some of the experiences that you may have had? Um, I think just off the back of what, because of the age gap, you know, well, there's a big age gap between us, but I think being able to um, just remember what it was like in primary school and secondary school, um, for you, for me, I totally resonates with what Nick is saying. So primary schools um, tend to be a lot more white, I don't know why. <laughs> um, <laughs> my experience of primary school was I was the only um, white girl in my class um, this was in, in Belgium, but there were only three black girls in the whole, black kids in the whole school. Um, and my first realization of me being black was when I was six, um, because I went to one of those private schools that you had to wear a straw hat um, in the summer. And in order to wear a straw hat in the summer, the school dress code was that you have to pull your hair back. And anyone who has curly hair, if you're not, um, if you're not black, but if you are black, you know how our hair works and that if you've got curly hair, your hair may look this short, but it probably is actually this short and so on. So at six, my hair was this short and I can't pull it back. 
Um, and I remember being told off and told off at school to the point that I was sent home with a letter saying that, you know, Ebby continues to um, flout school dress code and her hair must be um, held up black um, back. And before then, um, I was just friends with my other white friends and I didn't know that there was a difference at all. Um, mm. And I think that brings home where we just start reinforcing the message of difference. Um, lockdown means that my hair is out and natural and wearing it proudly, but you know, it's, um, it's been a, a mental struggle to, to affirm that in myself. Mm. Mm. Wow. So moving on, how, um, how were you guys affected by um, the murder of George Floyd? You know, when the news came, Obviously, it's not a unique situation, is it? This has happened numerous times, uh, but it does seem in the midst of lockdown, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, this taking place has had a different effect. But how, how did it affect you when you, you heard what had happened? Anyone go? I think I'll start here. I felt, oh no, not another brutal murder. At first, it didn't occur to me. One was black, one was white. It was like, this is evil. Looking close, of course, I said, oh, another black guy down. That was about, I was like, there must be more justice to this. But when people around me began to talk about it, I mean, they were really depressed and frustrated. Just this morning, I think this text is um, 12.43 this morning. I got a text from a workmate and she said, hi, I find myself really struggling so much with sadness. What happened to George F? I find myself crying, remembering it's hard to comprehend. And I haven't replied to her. It, I think for me, it's more about people around me hurting mm. than personally. And if, my sisters or my brothers or you are hurt and then i'm hurting too mm. Mm. any other thoughts or anyone else um i was just going to say that i it's the first time actually that i've had texts from friends from white caucasian friends that i mean i had one text that said i apologize for my whole race um so i do think that this lockdown's season has made people really reflect and take time to think about what is going on in the world so I think probably some good has come of lockdown because this has happened before hundreds of times but our reaction is quite different at the moment mm. it could be our political climate too Abby, mm. 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 how did it affect you um I I guess, you know, it took a couple of days to really, um, I think it, it affected me more when I heard that um, the police officer had just been sent home or dismissed from his, no, just been dismissed from his job. And there wasn't, it didn't seem like there was any, there's going to be any justice, you know? And, and actually it was only yesterday that I watched the full video because um, I am, um, I could posted it and I told him to take it down and, um, and another friend had posted it and I didn't know what I was looking at. So I just thought it was the image and then it started playing. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to have to just face this. Um, 
And for me, you know, the symbolism of the words that he said, I can't breathe. And the visual of the knee on the neck. Um, in youth culture at the moment, um, and lots of youth say, get off my neck. And um, it just felt like a visual, you're on my neck. And when we say get off my neck, it's um, get off, you know, envying me, get off suppressing me, get off holding me down. And um, it just brought back for me a personal time of real grieving of all the times that I felt that I'd been held back, um, felt that like opportunities weren't the same. Um, and obviously this is not about, you know, George Floyd is in America, um, but the same is true here. And then I stopped to think about my cousins in America and other black brothers and sisters are in the world because at the end of the day, we are all cut by the same cloth in terms of color. Um, but there are lots of lovely colours as well um, in the bundle of the shop of clothes, you know. Um, so it just brought it home in a really, really painful way. And I guess also for me, on the flip side, was silence, actually. Um, I guess sometimes you, when, when you see yourself as like, oh, a little bit black, a little bit, you know, this, a little bit that, and you're just kind of like a melting pot, they are especially white friends that you have who would grieve with you when your mother and father died or, you know, if your cat or dog died, um, who just didn't know what to say. And I get that because I'm, I sit in this culture, but as the days went on, it just felt very, it felt like rejection. Um, it, it really did. Mm. Um, and I did have a couple of people who were bold enough to, to send those sort of messages, like Sharon said. Um, and that really makes you just kind of sort out who your friends are. And that was really hard to kind of deal with. Um, you know, I, um, and I'm not calling him out at all, but I will just say that I, I said, I'm gonna make a t-shirt be like Pete. Cause when I was really like rebelling and showing my grief on social media, he was just like, hold on, something's up with Ebby. And he engaged and he asked the questions, you know, and, and, and I would just say better late than never um, because people are really grieving. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Sorry, I don't know not to interject. How does it feel as a young male, Nick? I don't know if you have any. Um, it's kind of, I don't want to say I'm desensitized to it, but when I saw the, we're at such a bad point where when I saw the video, it didn't shock me. Mm. Because this happens, like I'm 17 years old and I've seen this countless number of times. Mm. Yeah. Let alone how much like my mum's seen or my dad or whatever. So, and if I'm, and I love America, like you can ask anyone, that's like, I, I want to play American football, I want to do all that stuff. But like that, to me, that's kind of scary to think that like some, another man can do that to you. Like you wouldn't stand on a dog's neck for eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah. so you think that you're thought of as kind of subhuman still yeah and then i also had a thought of like it was only what eight years ago that the most powerful man in the world was a black man mm. yet there's still this is still going on and people but i was obviously happy when i started to see the social media buzz and the outlet and the fact that there are white people now who are feeling that same level of anger and 
you know, passionate about it. And I think that's a real big step that I've seen, especially along like my friends and the younger generation. Yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, Abby and Nike, um, Central Vineyard is predominantly a white church. Um, could you describe to us what that is like being part of a predominantly white church? Be, be as brutal as you want to be. Those who know me very well know that I don't spare my words. Um, the first time we came in, it was beautiful. CV is really friendly and I must confess, I don't see myself as black or colored. I don't see people as Caucasians. I see people as people. Mm-hmm. I see you by what you do and what you say. So I didn't really, it didn't really sink. I just, okay, business as usual, let's get on, this is home. And we got on with it and that's nice. CV has been warm, friendly, people are lovely, really lovely. And one thing I like is that people can brutally joke with each other and understand each other. I also found um, when it came to trying to form huddles, it did occur to me that it might be inhibition somewhere, sometimes. Mm. Because Mm. we did um, form one and um, I brought someone else in of my skin colour and then it just seemed not to work as I felt it would. And I wasn't sure why. And I personally think now it's, it probably is because we didn't understand each other. Mm. It's not really because of colour. So I'd like to say on a whole, CV is a lovely place. But the more we get to know each other, the more we relate, the better mm. it will be. Yeah. Mm. Um, you got anything to add to that? What I would just like to add to that is this, um, because I think I've been keeping quiet a bit. Now, the thing is, up till now, one thing I've not really, I can't really say, I don't know whether it's immunity or whatever, I can't really say that I've actually experienced somebody outrightly or antagonistically treat me as a black person. But one thing I want to say about CV is just that maybe the mindset of maybe there's a defensive mechanism that I've always have, maybe because of my faith, I live with the mentality as in, even when I see people talk about um, all, all, uh, Black Lives Matter, immediately in my head, what I'm thinking is all lives matters. Mm-hmm. And that's the frame I live with. Even when you, I mean, when I came to uh, CV, to be honest with you, I still feel, uh, you said we should be brutal, I still do feel that racial tension. That's, mm-hmm. that's about it. Not as if people are getting at you, but the fact that you need to realize you're different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see that uh, maybe at the end of this clip, there's a, a teaching um, Tammy did that I always feel that if we practice what we preach, and that goes across board Christianity. That goes to even CV. Maybe probably we will take the blindsidenessness of thinking maybe somebody is white, somebody is black. I just feel we, we don't really need that. We could, we could get that outside the church, but we don't need Not that in the church. inside the church. Because what I actually meant by that is uh, 
when we get intentional about forming relationship, we will be able to now be unlearning some prejudices yeah. that we have. Yeah. Without engagement, you will be, Tammy made that um, sermon on intentional spiritual formation. That is, there are some lies we've told ourselves, whether by handover, and it's dual. It's not just only white. It's not even black. You, have, you yeah. could tell yourself some stories, what I call prejudices. And by the time you let those lies build in your head, it will create some actions that will eventually lead to broken relationships. So I find that always there, whether uh, you form a group, some, uh, so you just notice that some people might not really come. You know, I'd be wondering. The question is, that I hope it's not because I'm black. That's when <laughs> I think that might be because nothing else happened. But can I just add, racism is both ways. Like Nick said in school, Caucasians can be racist, but people of color can also be racist. And I'm so glad within the school, they do treat it the same. Whether you're black or white, you will be dealt with, which is really good. It's about relationship. It's about being intentional and knowing each other. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Anybody else got any comments on that? What's it being part of Central Vineyard? Um, I was thinking that um, because of Central Vineyard is a very compassion-based ministry, I think that does help us move beyond the colour of our skin because we're message after message. It's, we are taught that not to look at the way someone is looking or smelling or being different than us. They may look different, they may talk different. And by teaching that repeatedly, you're talking about all sorts of people. So people of a different color, people of a different class. So we are going beyond what, what you're seeing. And so I think that we're all, we're constantly taught that. And I think it's good that it's constantly coming up message after message that we're to love people, meant to have compassion, and meant to welcome people, look beyond what we're seeing and what people are portraying, because we're very easy to judge. You know, we judge within the first few seconds of meeting yeah. people. But if we take that judgment away and we look compassionately at people, we don't see colour. I think um, what I will say is, interestingly, I have an amazing huddle, um, and one of the reasons. I love Central Vineyard um, and I chose to stay was that the stuff that it's um, built on is amazing. It's good stuff. Um, it's, you know, the word grows you. Um, I believe that small groups grow you. Um, I believe that huddles um, grow you. And, and obviously being in a, in a white my majority church, um, if a huddle is three or four people, I, you know, it's more likely that, you know, I'm the minority in that huddle. So I'm a white person, I'm a black person with um, two white um, huddle members. And, you know, in the middle of this drama with um, what's happening, I remember waking up one morning just in grieving tears. And the first person I called was a white friend from my huddle and just wept. And she sat for one hour because it's not new. This race conversation within that safe space of my huddle is not a new conversation because I'm vulnerable with them. I was able to call her and just mm. cry. Um, but on the flip side, just like Nikes um, and Ade said, a lot of 
the tensions we see are about re relationships. And as human beings, we are very collective. I'm sure we'd remember that, you know, when you've moved from being single to married, you know, there's a single club, there's a married club, there's a, there's a baby's club. And, you know, there's, you, you've all, there are different clubs and how whatever the grouping that you um, resonate with, you, you form groups. So there is that sense at CV somewhere underneath that there are still those groups of people that are more familiar mm. with each other and so it, it's um it, it's a lot harder and the rejection is a lot stronger when you're a new black person walking into the coffee time and just going talking to me <laughs> and you know where do I who do I go to and um so and I guess that's I decided to stay and serve and pour out, um, not because I'm not used to being amongst 90% of my friends are, are white, but I wanted the church to look different, especially because of my time in, in Nigeria and Africa. I wanted to, to seem like a house of prayer for the nation. So the more I stood in front welcoming, the more I was on coffee team, I wanted black families to see that Mm. there just was a place to land there was a place to mm. someone to identify and group to as well not that we want to make it big groups at all but just so that the more i'm there the more multicultural um cv mm. cv looks mm. yeah that's really wonderful that's really helpful guys thank you and um you know we don't want this this sunday yeah. to just be a moment you know there's a there's a fear that something like this can become very tokenistic uh, in, in a moment of crisis but what can we as a as a church do do you think to change to do better you know we we in no way believe that we have arrived or are doing everything well but what could we do to change maybe Evie you could take the lead on that question okay so as a church um I think we've done amazing things in the past year um in the place of prayer to see change. Um, we've done a lot of things by faith. Um, we have moved from one service to two to three and just, just chosen to do, even though it, you know, we've kind of called things into being, even though they're not, as you know, we just said, we want to grow. And I think we need to be intentional about saying we want our church to look different. Um, and I think we need to do some things in faith, even though it might be uncomfortable. I know Stephen Tammy, you've spoken about the fact that like growing so quickly meant that you've lost people and lost relationships and so on. I think that we need to do things that are just gonna pray and pivot. And I think by doing the small pivot, the small change, um, the ripple effect will be great. So one of those things that I think would be changing a little bit, the way we worship a little bit. Um, I, I say that because um, I, I grew up knowing my mum's language and every time I worship in my mum's language, I kind of hear God in a different way. Um, I lived in Spain every time, and I'm a linguist, every time I speak or sing in a different language, I just see God's heart in a different way. And I think that if we could even do one song, um, it would mean that like, maybe when somebody who's different from the white majority walks in, it resonates. Mm. And also the church would be able to just tap into a little bit of 
the culture um, that's different from their own. Um, that doesn't have to be anything scary. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me dance, okay? <laughs> Sounds beautiful. But I can think um, a different, a little bit of a different expression because, you know, the Bible does say that, you know, all the different parts do different things. Um, and I think that would be a good place to start. Um, I think also we need to, as a church, look who's look at who's around our table and how that's you know personally around your table in connect groups around your table in table groups um but also how that is different from northampton town center um and this is not when i say this is not a black thing um they're poles they're catholics there are indians blacks from africa and the caribbeans and and you know it is even though we're so far away from London, when you're in the high street, yeah. it's diverse. Mm. Um, and how can we make that, how can we make church look like that? Um, Martin Luther King said that 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated time. Mm. Um, and how can we bridge that gap? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, great. Thank you. That, that's really, so really insightful. Mm. No, yeah, actually, what would be really good is maybe um, you all want to just let us know, what would you say to the church? What would be your message for the church this morning? Maybe we'll start with uh, Nick and Sharon and we'll move around. I think I've mentioned it earlier that... Um, replace judgment with compassion and if you do that with everybody you meet and everyone that walks through our church doors barriers are broken automatically mm. yeah mm. um, i'll just say like you know look into something that's not your own like so i've looked in i know your culture and whatever just you know try and look in because you might i don't know you might like it but <laughs> and then like the more you know is you know, it, the more you understand someone is the closer you can be with people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. That's okay. Um, I think listen with empathy. Um, you know, like Nick said, um, just trying with trying to learn. Um, I think that, you know, oftentimes that whole statement is why are they so angry? You know, and it's kind of like, well, if, if, if somebody had gone been if some other injustice was done on someone they will be frightened and they will be you know they'll have their backs up um ask them why can you tell me a bit about your experience um and listen with empathy and i think that you know for anybody here who feels oh i don't know what to say um just ask god you know and he will help you and that it's never too late to try and just reconcile some of those you know times that you have not spoken out and not listened and not acted mm. oh, wise words Abby. Mm. how about you Adi and Nike um just permit me to still go back to the words I've heard from you and I believe this from the Lord what I just feel like uh, the bottom line for me in all these states, we go back to 
if only I allow myself to let the Holy Spirit direct the things I think, I believe, that should affect the way I behave, and that should affect the kind of, that will affect us building relationships together. So it's like, I'm just trying to detach. In all this, what I'm seeing so much is, I'm looking beyond the black thing to the destroyer that is behind the whole problem. About things that, okay, the person that knelt on the person that died, what made him do that? The person, I mean, what is the spirit behind that thing? So, on a nutshell, what I'm looking at is probably a challenge to me and a challenge to my brothers and sisters. Uh, I even find it hard to say white, I don't like that word. Hum- I, I think. And my, and my brothers and sisters, that what are the things we need to unlearn? Yeah. That's the key for me. What are the things that we know is not compatible with the truth that mm. we need to unlearn? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to practice African culture. Neither do I want uh, maybe a white person to. I understand that. Kingdom culture breaks every barrier. Amen. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all I'm about. Nothing else. Amen. I don't want to sit down with Steve and be thinking he's a white. I, I just don't, I don't have that framework of thinking. I just believe, I know surely we're a product of where we're coming from. I, I quite respect that, to be honest. All I just need is let's engage with each other so that I'll be able to learn from you you'll be able to learn from me, then we'll be able to diffuse, diffuse the prejudices. Mm. Yeah. I believe they are lies of the enemy. The only thing those things are set up for is to make us to break our relationships. Simply. Yeah. And we need to see beyond, that's the tactics we now need to see, that the more we unlearn the things that we have learned, that we know is not driven by the spirit, and that needs intentionality. And that's, I, I, I love that word. Steve normally says it. Tommy normally, I love that word. Be intentional. That's the way forward. Or else we keep preaching and we won't be doing it. And yeah. that won't keep us anywhere. <laughs> mm. Thank word, you. Good word for the church. That's wonderful. We're going to, we're going to, I just want to say thanks for doing this, guys. Yeah. I think this is going to be uh, a really valuable moment in the history of our church family. And I think, this is uh, an important conversation for us to have. We're, we're going to finish our time together and also invite the rest of the church now to uh, partake in the communion elements together. And um, the thing that I'm reminded of is that the, the gospel of Jesus is the thing that ultimately unites us to one another. It reconciles us to God and reconciles us uh, to one another and when we partake in those elements we're told in the scriptures aren't we we're we're reliving the reality of what Jesus has has achieved and so um, I think you're all armed with your communion elements and um, I'm just gonna, I was just reminded of the words of the apostle Paul um, in in first Corinthians where he said the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he he took the bread and he and he broke it and he he gave thanks and said this is my body broken for you and at the same time he he took the cup 
and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And, and we're to drink this in remembrance of him. So we're going we're gonna to take the elements now and I'm going to invite the rest of you watching uh, to share communion together. And then Ebby's going to pray for us as we close out. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the redeeming blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the reconciliation that you brought on the cross. And Father, where this world is broken, we know that on the cross you said it is finished. And Lord, um, I just pray that Central Vineyard, the Vineyard Church, um the church will just be an example will be an example in this fight in this battle but also knowing that the victory is yours the victory is ours and i just pray that as we are in that time of now and not yet and as we are um just learning and um listening that we'll also be people that say victory. I see victory, I see victory, I see victory. And that we will call things that are not as though they are. Lord Jesus, come and open our eyes. Father, teach us to love mercy. Teach us to show hospitality to those who do not look like us, Lord God. Father, I just pray that you will um, just break down ancient doors. And Lord, that the door of the church will swing wide open, will swing wide open. And that we will be people who dance upon injustice. Lord, I just pray that the, the church will be filled with people that, that look like heaven, that our church will look like heaven, heaven a melting pot. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> We've really valued our time with you. This has been been super. I think mm. we can probably stop record now, Michelle. <laughs>